it's gone. It's a grand slam. And that's the ball game. This is the Prospects Baseball Show, your inside look at the boys and girls of summer. Here's your hosts, Dean Millard and Jordan Blundell. Welcome to another edition of the Prospects Baseball Show. This is episode 8 on July 8th. My name is Dean Millard and the head coach in the AGM of the Edmonton Prospects, Jordan Blundell, as always, is with me. We're going to be joined by uh, relief pitcher David Wiley a little bit later in the program. Jordan, how are you today? I'm doing good, Dino. All right, you guys had the Western Canadian Baseball League All-Star Game yesterday, and despite the rain, the weekend was awesome. It was uh, fun to see Matt Stairs mingling with a lot of the fans and signing autographs. The home run derby showed off a little bit of the power, and it was abbreviated, but still we saw some power, and then we saw everybody performing in the game. Um, You know, you were probably really busy being a hometown guy. You also had an opportunity to be part of the coaching staff. What was the weekend like for you? It was special. It was a great weekend. I think it was uh, was a home run for our league. It was a home run for our franchise, um, for our ballpark. you know, the West won the game. That was great. Our guys did really well in the game. Uh, the prospects players that represented our, our organization, you know, did us proud uh, both on and off the field. Um, like, Dino, oh, man, it was great. Like, and and I'm, uh, I'm not surprised it was, but I'm surprised at how great this was. It, it was just a really fun event. Um, you know, there's things that we'll be able to improve on for next year for sure. That's how we do, you know, like – you go through something once, you want to try and make it better. Uh, but the, the, the foundation and groundwork for this this to be a successful event for our league is there now. It's real. It happened. It was awesome. Uh, we had weather. We had some challenges that we were able to overcome. And a credit to the players and everyone involved that everybody was cool. Like, you get it. Like, what, what are you supposed to do? It's raining. You know, just great attitudes. So the vibes and energy the whole day were, were great. It was one of the longer days I was at the yard. Like it was, I didn't get out of there till late. Uh, you know, I talked to, you know, our, our, our owner a little bit afterwards and just, you know, about the, the whole situation and, and, you know, we, we've been working on this game for months and, and, you know, some of the things we could do better and what, what we forgot to do and great, great time, man. I had so much fun. Uh, it, it, it was cool to be involved in a game that didn't matter, but it was competitive. The, the guys care because you're facing real guys on the mound that are that want to get you out. Because as soon as the pitcher has a ball and he doesn't want to let you get on base, it's real. There, there is no half-ass about it. Um, so that's the way the All-Star game goes. It was really cool to connect with some of the players, have some laughs about things that you wouldn't laugh about when the game matters, like strikeouts. Um, and then meet some new people for sure. And, and, uh, you know, network, you know, I think the players get a chance to do that too. They, hey, what's up? Where are you going to school? You know, what's life like for you down there? And, um, special, we're really happy with happened in Edmonton. We're looking forward to doing an even better job next year. Well, and that's the cool thing is that this can also be a recruiting tool for the league. Um, you know, guys like David play in this, they go home, they tell, 
uh, kids uh, in California that might be eligible for this league, how cool it was to play in a pro stadium with Matt Stairs there. The game was streamed so all your friends and family can watch back home. Like That is a really important recruiting tool that you guys as a league can use and by your players spreading the word to attract more quality players for sure you know we uh not not to discount the level of talent in this league um i I think every league is always trying to improve sure improve their talent base and and we're no different uh we're i think as a league we're we're really fortunate to have as many good players and good people as we do in the league there's some big time talent in this league so um, but we always want to continue to try and push forward for next year. You know, this game can mean a lot to um, the WCBL as a whole. Uh, for sure, be able to send this out uh, to schools. Every school that's new, you know, I don't know if there's been an Azusa Pacific player in this league. I, I can't remember. I don't remember seeing it on a roster. I'm sure there has it over the years. But, um, you know, now there's going to be a whole new group of 30 or 40 people that are aware of this league that, you know, hopefully Dave says good things about and, and, and then that opens up doors. And then there's guys on Dave's team that are buddies with guys on different teams and say, like, Oh, Hey, 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 Hey. And then the exponential growth of the communication boom, it happens. And then, you know, next year, hopefully there's a little uptick and then, and then future years. And you know, the, there, there's no cap, there's no ceiling to where this league can go. I think we're just scratching the surface of, of what we what we feel we're going to be capable of doing in Canada at this level, and it's exciting. Hey, bada, 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 so bada. Got him looking at the curveball. Let's go around the horn and get the big news in baseball. All right, if you want to get in touch with us on Twitter, there's a few different ways. Uh, this show, at Prospects Pod. Uh, you can reach Jordan at Jordan Blundell 4. I'm at Duck Millard. And of course, you can follow the prospects at EDM Prospects. Uh, the Instagram page is at Prospects Baseball Show. Our Facebook page is at Prospects Baseball Show. And you can email us Prospects Baseball Show at gmail.com. Prospects Baseball Show at gmail.com. Our website is prospectsbaseballshow.ca. And for tickets and up-to-date information about the Edmonton Prospects. Uh, their website is prospectsbaseballclub.ca. And if you uh, can't make it to a game, uh, you can watch the uh, live stream uh, going through their video uh, that is put on, or their website uh, that is put on by ICU Video. Uh, so a fun all-star game, a fun atmosphere. Uh, like you said, uh, the, the, the kids seem to enjoy themselves. Uh, I think the coaches uh, seem to uh, enjoy themselves. And... That was probably an important thing for you after a tough week, wasn't it? Um, you know, you guys started off on Canada, you get the win, and then you have five losses. And some of them were close. Um, was there a common theme uh, during the week, or was it a lot of different things? Well, yeah, the, the last one on Saturday wasn't close. All the other games were. It was, you know, four losses by six runs total. Um, yeah, you know, honestly, like the All-Star game, getting in that environment, you know, after a few losses, you're like, yeah, I don't like baseball anymore. And <laughs> yesterday was yeah. cool, it was fun, and I, I like baseball. I remember I love baseball again. Good. Um, this show would suck if you hated baseball still. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, and like it, it, it's better to win, obviously, and, and we want that for our guys, and we want that for our ownership and the, the fans and all that kind of stuff, so... You know, we're going to work hard to, to try and, you know, right the ship. Um, it's tough to lose by a run. It's it's kind of been a theme. We Like a lot of mm-hmm. our losses have been right there. 
Um, you know, I think a theme at the end of the day is, you know, we're, we're one or two pitches away from being successful, whether that's a, a, a thrown pitch or a pitch thrown to us as a hitter. There's, we've, we've controlled our own destiny, Dino. We've had opportunities in basically every game except for maybe three that we've lost. Um, I, I, I don't think that's, that's not a moral victory. That's not where I'm going with that. Moral it's, victories get, uh, really, really annoying after a while. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's the reality. I like to, to live in the moment the the reality of the situation is all those games were there for us. Uh, that's not, that's not sugarcoating it. We had opportunities to win. We weren't able to get it done. Um, we can, we need to continue to work to find a way to make that happen. You know, sometimes those games, you know, we, we lost a game in the eighth inning in Med Hat. Um, we ended up losing the game 3-2. We, we, we give up a run in the eighth inning, I think. You know, we could have scored in the fourth. You know, we could have scored another one in the first. Mm-hmm. You know, like, there's so many pitches in a game that it's a butterfly effect of where the game goes from there. You know, the, the game that we kind of, like, get away for, from us on Saturday night, you know, base is loaded in the first inning. We get we get two runs there, which is great, and that's something that we we always we haven't always been good at doing is cashing in the runs. We had guys on in other innings, you know, we didn't score. You know, if we get one in the second, two in the third, chip away, chip chip. Now all of a sudden it's five, six runs. The other team's not taking hacks. You know, the the the, the whole outlook of the game changes, right? So um, we've had opportunities, which which on the positive side of thing is great. It would be worse if we never even had opportunities and we weren't close. Again, there, there, there's no moral victories here. We need to find a way. You know, I know the guys want to, obviously. They're, they're here to, to compete and, and try and win as much as they can. Um, we just keep working. You know, at, uh, you know, at times there's been some, probably we need to have a, a little bit more mature approach at the plate um, and, and not in the sense of immature screaming four-year-old versus, you know, professional doctor type maturity, but learning what may be coming to you, uh, knowing how to maybe take a pitch because you'll get a better pitch later in your at-bat. Um, there's things Being like that. a little that. bit more patient. Patient for sure and, and, and willingness to be patient. You know, sometimes we offer at pitches. Right that we initially kind of game planned that we didn't want to offer at and we just couldn't not offer at it, you know, and that, that's maturity and that comes with that bats and that comes with playing the game longer and longer. So we're trying to help, uh, help some young hitters make adjustments on the fly. So much talent here. Um, the, the, the amount of talent is, is, is not the issue. Um, you know, just finding a way to, to apply that talent, I guess, maybe is, is kind of the thing we're looking for. Well, and that was happening earlier in the season, and you get back to it. And listen, I know exactly what you're talking about when, when you come to patience. You know, when I was in Double A on MLB The Show, my character <laughs> Gus, I would swing at everything. Then I got to Triple A, and I made a rule. Don't ever swing at the first pitch. Yeah. So now all the time in MLB The Show. Do you like how I relate your baseball, your real baseball team to my fake son in MLB The Show? The show and fantasy are more real <laughs> than, than anything we're doing out there. But I had the same experience, Dino, in, in college when I was- In real life. I was playing my roommate, you know, like we're, we're we battle and Dave will kind of talk to the, talked about this, about his brother, like battling who gets the car first, who gets yeah. this. So we would play Madden. We would play NHL with an American guy that didn't know hockey. You know, when he first beat me, that wasn't fun. That was not a good so thing. So we played a lot of baseball, yeah. right? And that, I had the same approach. So I took my actual college baseball in-game approach 
to that video game. Your real approach to that My video real game. approach, what I'm looking for and where I'm looking for it. And I started beating a, a pitcher. Like, he's a pitcher, I'm a hitter. And did I would, it help you in real baseball? It did help me in real baseball because I, I got to continue to practice my mentality versus a guy that wants to get me out and I know what I'm looking for. There you go, kids. Don't ever let anybody tell you that video games can't help you in mm-hmm. uh, real life. So it, all joking aside, um, I, I'm interested to see kind of your approach because on one hand you could say, um, you know, rather lose in the first half than the second half. Um, and, you know, because then you can get on a roll going mm-hmm. into the, the playoffs maybe. I'm not sure. Uh, but five games under 500. You're 11 and a half back of Okotoks, but only three games back of being in second place. So I think perspective has to be applied and you have to, while you are disappointed in the, the, the losses, you have to look at the big picture and say, we get on a bit of a roll, we're in second place. And, you know, depending on the playoff format, right? You can, you can look at the big picture a little bit. How do you approach? I know it's hard to probably look at the big picture when you're in it. It's a lot easier from my seat where I watch the games as opposed to you coaching the games, but mm-hmm. how do you approach it? How do you not, how do you not let, you know, throw out the baby with the bathwater? You got to look at the big picture and realize you're struggling now, but there is still half a season to go. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, the, the, I'm definitely aware of, you know, how many games we've got left and, and kind of how our schedule plays out here. And um, having said that, so knowing that we have uh, a lot of games left, uh, I feel like we do still control our own destiny, even though we're outside looking in. Um, and if everybody won the same amount as us, we're not going to get in now because sure, we, yeah. we've, we've dug a bit of a hole. We do play teams ahead of us quite a bit. Um, so we'll have head-to-head matchups with the, with teams that are within two, three, one, one, two, three games from us. So in that sense, I feel like we do control our own destiny. Um I think for, for our ball club, it's, it's, it really makes sense for us to really focus on the task at hand. Um, I think early in the year, we were really trying to, to be a great team and, and go on a run. Um, and that doesn't happen. It doesn't happen like that. You go on a run by playing this pitch right now and surrendering the results and playing That's how you this start game. the run, yeah. That's how, and then it just happens to be you mm-hmm. on a run. Um, so I think, I think we've talked a little bit about like surrendering the result here, um, approaching the game, having a game plan and, and executing your game plan in the moment, which will vary through the, the 150 pitches or 300 by both teams. It will vary a little bit throughout the game, but being able to be consistent with that and just executing that part and win that, that game, you know, at the end of the day, if we're, if we're victorious or if we're not successful, we can go back to the drawing board knowing that we executed our plan and then look at why it didn't happen. And and we've had a couple games recently where it was coin flip. You know, both teams played well, and we ended up on the losing end of it, which does suck. But the, the talk after the game, it, it can still be positive. It was a good ball game, fellas. Uh, I'm glad you don't feel great because let's not get used to losing. It's not fun. Um, but you did a good job. You know, we can, we can tip our cap to our opponent. They got us. They beat us by one pitch. And that's what this boils down to, right. you know, is it comes down to a pitch here, there, and everywhere, probably three or four pitches throughout a game, decide it. 
Okay, so you go to Swift Current t- day off today. Uh, everybody in the league has the uh, day off today after the uh, All Star game, uh, and you go to Swift Current for three, and then back home for uh, to Melville for three. Uh, but let's just talk about All Star games. It's obviously uh, the All Star break for Major League Baseball, and we're gonna have more on that as we go in the show. But should there be more than the home run derby uh, in All Star festivities? Um, you know, listen, we used to play a game as kids called stealing bases. You would have a pitcher, a catcher, a second baseman, and the runner on first. And when the pitch got thrown, you you could see there was a small lead you could take because there was no first baseman. And we would have a stealing bases game. Why can't we have that in Major League Baseball? Why can't we have uh, a runner on third? You hit fly balls to right field or <laughs> whatever, and you try to gun guys out. Why can't we have these things? I don't know about uh, you, know, you know outfield accuracy, um, outfield velocity. I'd be worried about pitchers trying to throw it as hard as they can because do you really want like the Sean Horkoff situation from the Oilers many years ago where he injured himself at the All-Star Game Skills Competition? So I'm not sure I want a pitcher throwing out his arm trying to throw. But you know outfielders do throw regularly. So I, could, could, could you see more events? Do you think you have any ideas for, for more events at maybe the major league level? Like, I love the idea, Dino. I think, I think you're onto something here. I'm sure they've kicked it around. Um, you got to keep into account, you know, the, the arm injuries, the pitchers. So I totally agree with you there. Maybe there's, maybe there's not much you can do from the pitching side of the game, but to think outside the box and do a, you know, an accurate throw from the outfield. Um, double play contest, you know, guys just have how to turn, quick can you turn double it? plays. Yeah. Like, you how put many a machine in a row? and you can, you can basically have the exact same scenario play out with machine hit ground balls. Right. These AI robots, they know how to do this. Yeah, you could spray you it around, right? the exact same way, turn it, flip it, put it on a time. I think that'd be really cool for the fans. I think the fans were able to see that during BP and during like the pregame work and all that. Um, I definitely think that you're on some, I think there's something that baseball could do to continue to improve that kind of, uh, situation, the pomp and pageantry and to show off the skills and athleticism like the home run derby, you know, the bat speed, the exit velo, well, we can do that with position players. Right. My only concern is do we put guys in a position to now compete a little bit too much when it's just supposed to be a relaxed hangout? Doesn't seem to affect NHL players and their skills contest. And the NBA now has a three point. They have uh, um, uh, agility contests and the slam dunk. So yeah, yeah, the obstacle course. So other sports are doing it. And listen, the home run derby is, is sexy. Chicks dig the long ball as uh, the Braves used to say, but uh, Maddox and Glavin commercial. It's gotta be, I just think there could be more. So Western Canadian baseball league, the guy, I throw it out to you. Let's add in a, a base stealing contest next year. Let's add in uh, a tag up uh, trying to score from third. Let's add in a double play, uh, you know, something, something a little bit more. And Major League Baseball, I would love for them to uh, to jump on board as well. But you know, I'm going to, I love the home run derby and, and I like the baseball all-star game. The baseball all-star game to me is the closest, it resembles the actual game the most out of any other sport. Yeah. The Pro Bowl is a joke because it's basically two-hand touch. Nobody is going to level Sidney Crosby coming across the blue line in an NHL All-Star game. And there's absolutely no defense in basketball. In baseball, you might not rear back and try to throw at 102 miles per hour, but you're still trying to get the guy out. Nobody is letting a grounder go past them to have fun. Nobody is dropping a pop fly in the outfield and... 
And it, it, in hockey, you let guys go past you. Yeah. It's so baseball is the closest thing, and I just think there's so much more we could pick out of the game to showcase. There's something about when a, when a pitcher is is going live. Um, pitchers have a lot of pride and, and egos, and and they want to be successful. So as soon as they dial it up, the game got dialed up. Mm-hmm. So you're trying to make plays for your pitching staff. You can never go into to the plate without the the most intense folk like it, it, it's dangerous it's an absolutely dangerous part of well, you sports get hurt. you get hurt playing at 80% playing half speed gets you hurt it, def- in any it sport. definitely does it definitely does okay before we get on to a history class a quick look at major league baseball and the standings and uh, this is amazing to me uh, only one division in baseball is within 5 games of first uh, to second that's the NL Central half a game between Chicago and Milwaukee in fact, all four teams uh, chasing the Cubs are within five games. So you look at the Yankees, they got a six-and-a-half game lead. Minnesota, five-and-a-half. Houston has a seven-and-a-half game lead. Atlanta, six games. And then the uh, Dodgers have the biggest lead at 13-and-a-half. Other than the NL, NL Central, what race do you think gets close? Um, you know, like is it Cleveland uh, catching up on Minnesota? Uh, does Boston get back in the uh, AL East? Is What division do you think will get close? I don't think the uh, Arizona Diamondbacks are going to catch the Dodgers. Uh, mm-hmm. But wh- what do you think? Like, wh- What division will get close other than the NL Central? I think the AL Central. I, I don't think Cleveland's done. Uh, they got uh, a little bit of a slow start. Uh, they've been coming on lately. Their pitching staff is... You know, and you know, with what's happened with Carlos Carrasco and the leukemia diagnosis, you know, obviously... Prayers out to him and his family. I, you know, hope hope for the best there. That's it's never something you want to see in sports when, you know, somebody that means a lot to their community, you know, goes down like that. You know, he's he's a role model. So, but they they have a ton of arms there. They've got a lot of young guys. They're they're exciting. Um, I definitely would not bet against Cleveland doing this. Minnesota hasn't done this for a while, so for them to fend off a, t- a playoff-tested team and, and organization that's been through this battle before, um, that'll be interesting. I think that gap can close pretty quick, Dino. Um, the, the Braves in the NL East are the class. Uh, the, the, the brand of baseball they play that they teach, you know, it standard the test of time. They get classic-type players that play the game the right way. Um, they've got great leadership from the top down right into the clubhouse. Uh, they've got serious guys. I don't think that division's up for grabs. I think that they know what they're doing and they're gonna they're gonna put it down. Um, I could you know obviously the 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 NL Central has always been this dogfight. Like it's like every year it's a dogfight in that. In that. Um, I don't see that changing. Milwaukee's tough. St. Louis is a pedigree team like Cleveland. It's always there at the end of the year. Pittsburgh's got some young arms. Who knows with Cincinnati, they probably don't have enough, but man, they can hit the ball far. Um, you never know. And then the Dodgers are the Dodgers. Nobody's catching them. It's over. So the AL Central is your uh, AL, the one that you yeah. think will go get the closest? Yeah, AL Central. And I'm not sure about Boston catching the Yankees. The Yankees are legit. Or Tampa. Tampa's good. Like I don't know if I've ever seen a better Yankees team. They don't even have everyone. They don't haven't even had everyone all year. Potentially, yeah. Potent- they, potentially, their potentially, bullpen yeah, is yeah. their bullpen is the greatest of all time type bullpen, and they'll go get an arm. They'll go get Mad Bum from the Giants, or they'll go get Stroman from the Jays. There's a guy that they're gonna get to add in 
I mean, this the evil, the evil empire is back. You know, they're back, baby. All right, let's get to history class, and uh, we're going way back to uh, 1900 <laughs> for our first one. How many innings did this pitch? No, no, no. <laughs> it's it is a pretty good pitcher, but it's uh, Boston Bean Eaters hurler Kid Nichols. It took him only nine seasons to get 300 wins. <laughs> That's 33 wins a year. Oh, what's that, 450 innings pitched per season? He won 361 games during his 15-year career. At 30, became the youngest to reach the milestone. So he averaged 33 wins a year for nine years, and in his whole career, 24 wins every a, season. A record never to be broken. Yeah, obviously a different era. Yeah. Nine years later, 1909, this is for you. In a 15-3 blowout of the Browns, the White Sox collected 12 stolen bases. Ooh. This is that there. That's an Edmonton Prospects team right there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> they they stole home three times. Oh wow! Can you imagine a clinic. You imagine a team stealing home the, one of you three the times. The third time, you got to make sure you, yeah. like that. You got to stop it from happening. Yeah. Uh, well, we'll jump ahead now. 1982, Harold Baines, three consecutive home runs, including a grand slam. Hall of Famer for you, Dino. I don't know. I, I'm not sure. Borderline. And I think if you're not sure, it's a no. Baines or McGriff? McGriff. Me too. But that's the Canadian in me yeah. though too, right? Yeah. And former Padre as well. Uh, so anyway, uh, Baines hit three home runs. He hit solo trippers in the fifth and seventh and then deep in the eighth with the bases full to uh, win it. And uh, we know another guy who hit three home runs in a game, too. That was Shea Hillebrand. On this day in 2003, yeah. Shea Hillebrand becomes the sixth player to homer in three consecutive innings, tying a big league record. Uh, the third baseman's fourth, fifth, and sixth round trippers uh, accounted for half the runs the Diamondbacks score in their 14-6 victory over Colorado at Bank One Ballpark. And we talked to Shea about that, and... Uh, the nervousness he felt coming up in the fourth inning when he was trying to set a Major League Baseball record. So that happened on this day in 2013. And uh, 2007, little all-star trivia for you, or all-star milestone. Ichiro hits the first inside-the-park home run off of Chris Young at AT&T Park in San Francisco. He would be named MVP. And 2017, this is impressive. Carlos Carrasco tosses the immaculate inning, strikes out the side in the fifth frame on nine pitches in an Indians 11-2 victory over the Tigers. The Venezuelan right-hander, only the second pitcher in franchise history to do it, joining Justin Masterson, who did it in 2014. The immaculate inning. That's I've, like the, I've seen that once. That's like a perfect game for a closer, right? Yeah. Like a, <laughs> a, a closer can't have a, a perfect game, but that's what it is for a closer. Yeah, nine pitches, nine strikes, three strikeouts. I've seen it happen once. Really? Unbelievable. Were you part of the strikeout? No, I was, uh, it was a teammate of mine on the trip that we took to Toronto. I think I brought this up earlier in, in the seasons here. Um, we had a kid pitch, Robbie Finley, who ended up being a draft pick in the Oakland A system. And I, I'm pretty sure if memory serves me correctly, it was in the seventh inning, youth baseball play mm -hmm. seven, eight. It was the seventh inning of a complete game. And That's he went impressive. Nine pitches, three Ks, game over. Tell us your best baseball story and you could be watching a prospects game from a suite and taking batting practice before the game. 
So on today's baseball memories, I'm going with an all-star game uh, memory from uh, 1989. And uh, by the way, just for you submitting your baseball memory, it could be playing, coaching, watching, anything. You have a chance to watch a game of the prospects from a suite hosted by myself, August 3rd, Fan Appreciation Day. And somebody from your group, you and a friend can come to the game We'll get to take batting practice. So you get to watch from a suite, enjoy all the uh, comforts of that, and maybe take BP before a game at Remax Field just for emailing us your baseball memory. And like I said, we only have a couple of spots left. I've already reached out to four of the six winners, so you only have there's only two spots for you to get in on this. So if you want to watch a game from a suite and take BP before the game, email us, prospectsbaseballshow at gmail.com with your baseball memory. As mentioned, I'm going back to 89, the All-Star game. It was in uh, the Angels ballpark, I believe. And Bo Jackson led off the game with a 450-foot <laughs> home run off of uh, Rick Russell. And the cool thing about this is, you know, I'm a, obviously you know I'm a big Dodgers fan. And Vin Scully, to me, is the greatest announcer of all time. And no, any sport, anytime, anywhere. Vin Scully is the greatest. He's calling that all-star game, and Ronald Reagan is in the booth. But uh, that bow down there, that's a pretty interesting hobby he has for his vacation. When baseball ends, he winds up uh, playing uh, playing football. I, I just, I don't know if there's ever been anyone doing it. Hey. He's remarkable, and look at that one. Bo Jackson says hello. Russell is greeted on the first pitch to Bo Jackson. He almost hit it out of state. And as a kid, I was just like, oh, this is a cool all-star game. Oh, there's that guy that was president, and there's my favorite Vin Scully. So I was pretty, it was pretty cool. Uh, but I just remember it was just, and just watching it yesterday too, it's like, oh, there's Vin Scully and Ron Re- Ronald Reagan, two pretty iconic guys, and Bo Jackson, the greatest dual athlete, in my opinion in sport history, oh, hits yeah. a home run. So there's been a lot of good moments in all-star games. Obviously, Larry Walker with the helmet uh, on backwards <laughs> or whatever was yeah. a pretty funny one. Uh, but that, for me, is uh, my baseball memory today. It is Bo Jackson at the 89 all-star game. Uh, your memory is uh, also about an all-star game, but not watching. Yeah, no, it, uh, I got a chance to play in, in Remax Field back then. It was called uh, TELUS. Um, in the Alberta Junior Baseball League Circuit All-Star Game, and this would have been like 2001. Um, I played with a great group of guys in, in Parkland. We were with Parkland, so, you know, you know uh, Spruce Grove team in you know, Parkland County, and uh, the, the, the mayor out there in Spruce Grove was kind of part of that situation back in the day, and, and Cam Houston, who's the Samba head coach and the Prospects Academy coach, and, and Coach Rob Boyk and Dan Chappelle and, you know, a bunch of these guys, Justin Dixon, um, we had a great group of guys from around this area. It's kind of Iron Man, about fourteen guys, and and we just we just won a lot. And we played back then. It was before the WCBL was really involved, mm-hmm. uh, so all the local guys that you know you would see playing right now were in this junior league back then. So the the, the competition was pretty good. Um, so I get to play in the All Star game. Uh, it was at, it was in Edmonton. There was more local teams, so it wasn't like that was our home park. But but they, they did the All Star game at this cool facility, and this was also metal bat back in the days before Canada went to wood. Um, and so I got to play in the game and, and ended up hitting a bomb. 
down the right field line there, and then it was a pitcher's duel type game. So you know, lo and behold, I was given the the All Star Game MVP because I, I ran one out of the ballpark. So that's a cool memory for for me to have, and and a really fun group of guys. Dino, man, like that group, that that 2001 group. We hit so many home runs as a as a team. Like it was it was unbelievable. Everybody had double digits, and it was super fun. Um, I'm still friends with a lot of those guys to this day, so that's probably that that that's my All Star Game memory right there is hitting a bomb at Remax. All right, send us your All or your baseball memories. Doesn't have to be about the All Star Game, but your baseball memories to prospectsbaseballshow at gmail.com, and you could be watching a game from a suite and taking BP before the game. Let's get back to the action. This is the Prospects Baseball Show. We are now joined in studio by Prospects pitcher David Wiley. And, of course, Jordan Blundell is with us uh, as always. And, uh, David, welcome to the Prospects Baseball Show. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for coming out. And uh, you're coming off an all-star game appearance where you picked up the save yesterday. Uh, first of all, let's just chat about what it was like to be named to the All-Star game. And, and this is was this the first type of game like this that you've played in? It was a great honor making the All-Star game. I was really happy. I mean, everyone goes into the summer hoping to be an All-Star. So getting that honor at the midway point was a big moment for me, but also showed the work we have to do to make a playoff push here. And my whole life I've made All-Star games, so it's always something that check the box on the goal sheet that you want to do each summer. Oh, that's uh, pretty cool. So what was yesterday like? Um, obviously it was wet, um, but what was it like uh, in the clubhouse with guys that you are facing regularly? You know, I, I'm always interested in that kind of aspect about, um, you know, it's not like you have long time rivalries with this guys, these guys, but you have faced some of these guys already this year. So what was the atmosphere in the clubhouse like? Uh, it was really friendly. We were all joking with each other like, oh, was that pitch you threw me that you hit the double off? So it's a great kind of experience talking to these guys that in all honesty, you hate during the season and you really don't want to face. And then you get to sit down with them in the clubhouse and talk about pitching and hitting and just kind of life in general. So Jordan, uh, you're uh, on the coaching staff yesterday, and that was a, a lot of fun. Um, you know, it's a, a close game. You guys were just waiting for the opportunity to get David in the game and wrap things up. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, no, it, it was cool that it worked out like that for David to be able to close the game at home for the for the West team. Uh, very deserving All Star, uh, as I should mention. Uh, Dave's had a a real impactful season for us. He's been super reliable uh, in kind of different roles as 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 our closer. Uh, but also as a guy that can take the ball for four or five innings, he's been involved in some of those long uh, mm-hmm. extra inning games that we were in and just continued to go out there and throw up zeros for us. So uh, it's been really fun. We're really grateful that Dave's joined us for the summer and uh, really happy that he got to, uh, to close the game, uh, the first all-star game of the WCBL at home wearing our white jersey. A really cool moment for our franchise. So you come into the game uh, late uh, yesterday and uh, you you pick up the save. You have three saves already uh, this year. Uh, what was the what was the strategy going into that game? Um, some games you come into and you uh, you're like, okay, this is the bottom of the order. I can get into this. And an all star game, it really doesn't matter who you're facing. They're all all stars. So 
Did you have a different mentality yesterday as opposed to uh, the, the other uh, 21 innings you've pitched this year? I mean, I was fortunate I had Jake Gary catching me at that point, so we warmed up together in the bullpen, and we just said do the normal stuff, throw fastballs, throw sliders. And for me, any hitter can beat you in this league. Every hitter's good, so it doesn't matter if you're facing Brooks or you're facing the all-star team. Every hitter on the team is good. So if you attack them the right way, you can get anyone out. So what was the strategy yesterday then? Fastballs inside, throw sliders away. Is that the go-to uh, for you? Is that your uh, and, and when, you know mm-hmm. when you when you look at his repertoire, is that what you expect most of the time? I think Dave's uh, playing possum with other teams that listen to our podcast. I don't <laughs> think I don't think we know what he throws just yet. Uh, he can confirm that maybe after the summer is done. Okay, tell me what your favorite pitch is. Not maybe not your like the best pitch, but just the pitch you like to throw the most. Uh, probably a fastball. I mean. Growing up, I love going after hitters, and I'm not scared to throw a fastball to anyone, so I take a lot of pride in that. That's cool. Uh, Before you jump in on this, Jordan, I want to ask a question because uh, we've had starting pitchers and um, uh, position players on. This is the the first kind of relief closer that we've had. What's how important is the bullpen catcher uh, and and that relationship? (laughs) Because we we, on my other radio show, we used to do show uh, topics like. um, What's the the most least appreciated or, or least known uh, position or something in sports? And I always think the bullpen catcher. Like, I would have been happy making a living as a bullpen catcher. There's there's not a lot of pressure other than warming up the guy, and uh, you still make a pretty decent living. But there's obviously a relationship with your catcher when you get in the game. How important is the bullpen catcher? I mean, it's one of those things that you don't really appreciate until all your catchers are in the game and you have a pitcher warming you up. But, I mean, a bullpen catcher definitely makes a difference letting you know, like, hey, this isn't moving today. Your fastball's too straight. Make it move a little bit more. But also just, like, as a friend because you're sitting down in the bullpen and some guys might have nerves going in. So having someone to talk to while you're sitting on the bench down there before you go in is also really important. So that's a really important job. You have to have the right personality. It's almost like they're um, less of a – being a catcher is important because that's the number one thing they have, to, they have to catch the ball, but they also have to manage the personality. So you have to have the right guy in that position. Yeah, there's definitely some management of personality there. Um, you're trying to give feedback and trying to be positive and trying to help make an adjustment here or there. And, and if you've caught the pitcher you know, 10 times in the first couple of weeks, you do have a pretty good feel of how his good stuff works and how his stuff that works his stuff that isn't good works mm-hmm. um right now we're a little bit uh hampered a little bit i guess uh bo bo's uh, out of town and a wedding and bo. and uh bo gill bo one okay. of our catchers so we've got three guys that are pretty capable to catch and uh we've been we've been doing one of the catchers in the game and one of them DHing. so this is one of those points in the season where mm-hmm. we've got some pitchers warming up pitchers and um it definitely makes a difference now Maybe not so much that the guys can't overcome, sure. and, and we definitely would prefer a guy back there sitting there making it look really nice, you know what I mean? So um, Dave hit the nail on the head there. To have a guy back there that, that inspires confidence before a pitcher comes into a big situation is is very valuable. Well, it's uh, it's not unlike a, uh, 
a rap hype man almost, right? You know, you're you're trying to uh, pump up the pitcher and get him in the right frame of mind before he takes the mound in in one of the most important situations. So um, usually it's uh, it's fire starting time. Like we need to put this out right away here, and and we need you coming in with your best stuff. So tell me about what attracted uh, you to David and bringing him in. Um, you know, when did you uh, when did you first hear about him, and and how did the process work? Yeah, Dave was a little bit later into the the overall grand scheme of the recruiting process, and and that only means we just didn't know about him until a little bit further on. We had made lots of calls and then started working the process. You know, September one for the next year. So uh, Dave came up through Coach Coach Guzzo, uh, the pitching coach that we hired. Um, Dave was with Coach Guzzo in a different league last summer, out in the Hamptons in the New York area. And, uh, when we made the decision to hire Austin, coach Guzzo, um, you know, one of the first things after we had talked about, you know, planning a strategy and philosophy, and we got on the same page on those things was okay. So let's get into the recruiting element. Who do you got? Who do you know? Where are we going? What calls can we make? And, um, coach Guzzo said, this is a guy we need to call right now. Um, he's the first guy I think you should call Jordan. Uh, so I said, okay, why, what's going on? What's his deal? Where's he at? Did a little bit of background and, and then, and then we reached out and, uh, it seemed like it happened fairly quick. Uh, Dave was able to commit to us fairly soon after that first conversation. And, um, you know, Dave kind of comes from, uh, funky with respect, like arm angle. It's a little bit different. It's not generic. So there's always an element of that to the hitters that, that maybe that affects their ability to hit you. Um, his stuff's obviously good. So he can just put that to rest right now he's got the, he's got a good good enough repertoire of pitches plus it's not your typical arm action and delivery uh which which is beneficial it's it's the coolest thing about baseball is, is guys like dave uh that have found a way to do what they do and get outs and it's not your conventional hey this is how you do it he's developed his own personality with his rhythm and timing and um and that makes it tough for hitters really awesome he, he's, he's very effective guy for us and you know obviously he was in the all-star game for that so we went through the process fairly quick and, and Dave signed and um, yeah we're glad he came up. Baseball is unique that way you have sidearn, submarine, different guys and Matt Stairs uh, who was just at the all-star game told us about Arthur Rhodes and the arm action that he had that made it so tough for him to get a handle on the ball and then he finally did and asked him to sign it during the game and that didn't go so well because Arthur wasn't very happy about that but um, did you do anything you know is that that just the way you grew up throwing the ball or was there any reason why maybe your arm action is a little different or is that on purpose? Uh, It all kind of happened my freshman year up to there I'd been a very conventional pitcher throwing over the top throwing a fastball curveball and changeup and during my freshman year I just wasn't thrown hard enough to compete at the Division One level. So a coach told me to make a change and start throwing sidearm. And I had a lot of success with it that summer after my freshman year with Coach Guzzo. So kind of after that, I put all my chips in and really decided to pursue throwing sidearm and have had a good amount of success with it. So I'm happy with how it turned out. Yeah, we're really happy too. It's, uh, it's cool to add that kind of element. It's a weapon for us in the bullpen. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're definitely looking to find guys that throw from different slots, different velos, their balls run versus, you know, heavy ball, you know, running cutters, all that kind of stuff. You're trying to put pieces together so that when you get into games and, and three-game series with the team, you have weapons. And as you learn the other team's hitters, 
Uh, for instance, Dave's going to be tough on right-handed hitters because of the way his mm-hmm. ball moves and his arm action. So if it, if there's a team full of you know dangerous right-handed hitters, Dave ends up being a great option. Outside of the fact Dave can handle lefties and and any hitter, now it's a really good matchup on top of his ability just to get hitters out. He's really good at getting right-handed hitters out. So it's a piece. It's part of the strategy. Um, you know, moving parts for sure on these teams as we recruit through you know, the whole summer and right now, you know, we're identifying guys potentially for next year as we'll have players graduate out of the program and it's a, it's a recruiting, it's a, a year round thing. So to be able to, you know, have a guy coming out the side a little bit and then we've got a lefty that we can match up to help piggyback each other. Um, it is kind of a fun thing to do through recruiting process. Part of the job that that's really fun is, is the strategy behind the decisions of, Hey, okay. Oh, I like that arm action. He'll fit in nicely here. And then on top of that, all the plans that you think you draw up in, in uh, you know, Christmas time in March, they change. You know, the roles change. You know, Dave didn't necessarily start out as our closer this summer. And, and you know, probably Trevor Berg was in that role. And, and now Trevor's starting and Dave's our closer. And, and it, it's just a great fit. And guys kind of, at the start of the summer, everybody's figuring everybody out. And then the trickle-down effect happens and things kind of settle to where they should be. And then you then you make some adjustments and tweaks from there. So you said earlier when we were chatting before we came on the air, you always have been a, a closer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're from San Diego. Yes, sir. I'm guessing you don't remember much about uh, Trevor Hoffman's 53-save season because it was happened the year you were born. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, <laughs> So I'm thinking you probably didn't look up to Trevor Hoffman a lot, who was a great San Diego closer. But who did you... Uh, was there like, you know, you, you've always been a closer. So did you study different closers and do you have one that you either modeled your game after or tried to, um, you know, not, not be like, but, uh, look up to, I mean, you said it, Trevor Hoffman, I think he's the best pitcher to ever play baseball. And so you watched a lot of film yeah. then. Yeah. So whenever I'd watch every Padre game on TV growing up. So whenever he would come into the game. I would make my dad turn on Hell's Bells on the little iPod speaker. <laughs> That's awesome. Because I want to be Trevor Hoffman. I want to come into Hell's Bells. And I knew his kids in high school, played against them, played with them. So whenever like you get invited over to the Hoffman house, you're always happy because you get, get to go see Trevor. So you've met Trevor Hoffman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's larger than life in San Diego. And, I mean, you can debate if he's better than Mariano Rivera. I think he's better. But, I mean, growing up watching a guy like Trevor Hoffman's unbelievable. Yeah, so 06, you would have been eight years old. He had mm-hmm. a, a 46 saves, led yeah. the, led the uh, league in, in saves again. And, um, you know, we're going to get to relief pitchers at some point in our all-time team. It's not today. We're, we're doing catchers. But, um, you know, th- that's a good debate to have. That's that's a good thing about baseball is, is you can uh, debate that. Uh, so when you're growing up and you're pitching, when did you start? When did people say you should be a reliever? Because, you know, do they have, like, defined roles in Little League like that? (laughs) I mean, when you start doing live pitch at nine years old, yeah, nine years old, and we had a rule in Little League. You couldn't pitch, then play catcher, but you could catch and then pitch. So I would catch the first four innings and then go into pitch. So that's kind of how I started closing, and then, I just love the idea of like the high pressure getting the last six outs and kind of what Jordan said, like a closer normally gets the last three, but I love going two, three, four, five innings and really taking pride and keep putting up zeros in big situations. So when you look at him, you see that closer mentality. 
Uh, is he? Uh, what's he like on game days? I know you don't talk to uh, the pitchers a lot. You say, or the pitcher who's uh, playing. Yeah, the starting but guy. Do you, is he game face all game long, or is he a kind of a loose guy? What's his? What's he like during the game leading up to that save opportunity? I think uh, Dave. Dave's one of the guys on the bench that that keeps everybody going. Uh, keeps it loose. Is, is is into the game. Is having fun with what's happening inside the game, you know, foul balls and fans and stuff like that. He does a really good job of connecting um, to the heartbeat of what the game is meant to be, how it's meant to be played. Um, you know, the other night there was a foul ball and one of the other pitchers, you know, made a play on it by the bench and he's going hooting and hollering and, and that's what baseball is all about. You know, he's having a blast playing the game with, with a bunch of new friends and creating chemistry and vibes and, and good feeling and, um, you know, you, you can't put a price on that. It's just you need those kind of guys on your team, so that's been huge. Um, Coach Guzzo usually deals with the decisions. When we make a decision at one end of the bench, he will go and relay messages. And, you know, a lot of times it's trying to match up. It's like, hey, if this happens, get this guy going. You know, if, th- if that happens and he goes, then he'll follow him. If he doesn't go, then a different guy's going altogether. Uh, so there's some pieces that are moving throughout the game as it's happening in real time. So Coach Guzzo usually deals with that. Um, I don't know this for sure, but I think as the game goes on, I think D- Dave's jovialness maybe goes down a little bit because he starts getting serious. Gears up, yeah. It, it looks like maybe he'll be coming in the game. Is that the case? Oh, uh, yeah. Like yeah. you can now like have your fun through the first six, see how the game is, and be ready to roll by the ninth. Mm-hmm. So sitting in the dugout, you must. You guys have an incredible heckler uh, that sits uh, just <laughs> behind the the dugout. You know, when when I go and I I work the hosting for ICU video uh, that streams the games, I sit behind the dugout for most of my hits, and then I go out and do them. I hear that guy all the time. Uh, like, you guys must chuckle sometimes when you hear the fans heckling. Yeah, I mean, it's just, that's part of why you want to play for the prospects. You play in Remax Field, and I remember when Austin Guzzo. He sent me a video of Remax on Canada Day the year before, and I texted him back like I have to play there, and like having the fans there, it's an awesome experience, and it's fun to engage with them, laugh a little bit with them. So it's awesome having those hecklers there. It's a big league city, you know, with the Oilers, sure, and and baseball is a different sport than hockey, and I'm sure Edmonton Oilers fans would love the opportunity to be able to heckle other NHL teams, the referees and all that, but it's, it's, hockey's different sport. It's too loud. Too loud, and, like, football's a loud, boisterous sport, and, and you know, obviously Edmontonians enjoy going to Commonwealth and cheering on the ass, and they get to do that, but that's even kind of a little bit different. There's there's lulls, but it's high intensity, and then there's a break, and then it's back. It's just, it keeps pulsating, where baseball's, you have time to heckle. Mm-hmm. You have yeah, time you to have create a relationship with somebody else on the other team and get after them. And um, that's something that I've noticed that I've seen is that um, compared to the other markets, um, I, I would say we're, we're a big league city in that sense that the, the you know, the, the hecklers come out after you. They'll, they'll get you pretty good here in, in Edmonton. David, you, uh, David was a captain of his uh, high school baseball team a couple of years and the football team too. You played baseball and you played football. What was growing up like? Did you play a lot of different sports or was it football, baseball, and then you narrowed in and saying, I got to make a choice or, you know, what was it like growing up in San Diego? I mean, I played every sport growing up, whether it hockey? was basketball, not hockey. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but he's a San Diego Gulls fan. Oh, yeah. there you go. Dallas I love Aikens, the Gulls. Uh, but... Now the uh, new Anaheim coach. Mm-hmm. So. 
Yes, but I love basketball, football, baseball. And growing up, my dad, he played college basketball, so basketball was kind of my first love, I would say. But once, like, stepping on the baseball diamond, I fell in love with that. And football was also a great experience. Like, all my best friends in high school played football. We competed for a state championship throughout my high school career, so it was an awesome experience playing football, too. Did you go to a big high school? Uh, No, I went to a small high school. It was a small private school, but we were always playing the top division for baseball, so that was always fun. Uh, American sports are awesome. Um, you know, you, you played down there. I, I we used to travel down and play some hockey down there uh, in uh, North Dakota and uh, places like that. Um, and like we would be amazed. There would be like cheerleaders out on the ice, and we're like cheerleaders. Like th- th- we get like fifty people watching us at home, and here we're playing in front of like three thousand. So I just love the way. Uh, Americans do sports and uh, particularly Little League baseball. Yeah. Well, the, like the Little League World Series, the amount of money that they generate with that, like 16,000 fans for, you know, the gold medal game or the championship game. And it's on TV and it's just like the, the pomp and pageantry attached to, you know, 12 year olds playing baseball is, is something else, man. I mean, you just did the brick tournament and how big that is for 10 year olds and how cool that is. Like, it's such a cool idea, and I'm I'm in in the mall, and the kids are ha- <clears throat> having a blast and all that, and then put that on multiple doses of steroids, and that's Williamsport. Yeah. It's just crazy. How far did you ever get close to the Little League World Series as a kid? Uh, we won our district, and that was about it. But that's but, a big thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, but it was always cool because growing up, in my six years of playing Little League, four teams from San Diego made it to Williamsport. <laughs> Wow. So then when you get to high school, you're playing against a guy, you're like, oh, he played in Williamsport. And even when you're 18, that's still a big deal. Yeah. So like the aura of Williamsport in the Little League World Series, it's a definite thing. Wow. So grew up in San Diego. Uh, you played baseball in New York last year in the, in the Hamptons. Yes, what yes. was that like? It was an amazing experience. I After not pitching my freshman year and getting out there and playing for Austin Guzzo, it was awesome. And my mom has family in New York, so... They would always come out to games. My host family was awesome, and it was definitely one of my favorite places to play baseball. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, so l- let's just discuss a little bit about uh, the, your your uh, brief college career so far. Uh, you you had to redshirt the one season. Yes, sir. Uh, that's got to be really weird. You can practice, um, you travel, but you don't get to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I had committed to St. Mary's after my sophomore year of high school. So I spent two years knowing I was going there, really looking forward to it. And then getting on campus and not playing it really was a big test for me, figuring out how much I really love baseball and if I want to hang it up and just be a student manager or if I want to continue playing. So after not playing that year, I decided I wanted to transfer and test my luck again and ended up at Azusa Pacific and had a successful summer, went to Azusa and loved it, had a awesome time playing, had my appearances. So it was really the change I needed to kind of continue my career. Yeah. You said red shirting was like having uh, season tickets. Yeah. Like you just watch baseball games, do charts, and you don't really feel like a part of the team, which was a big shock to me. Like as Jordan said, I'm like a fun joking around with everyone personality, but I never felt really part of the team as a red shirt, which was a big change for me. But then you end up at uh, Azusa and uh, you have a pretty good uh, freshman season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I definitely found my home at Azusa. Uh, the coaches are amazing. The team's amazing. And, I mean, competing for a College World Series appearance is like nothing I can 
really compare it to? Yeah, he's had a really good program. Uh, history of winning. It was an NAI school back when I played that made a transition into Division Two. There's actually quite a few NAI schools that have done that over the last decade, 15 years. He's at one of them. Um, what a great area of the world in North America to play baseball is where he's at, like, around San Diego area. Yeah, it's about two hours north of San Diego. Oh, so close yeah. to home. Yes, sir. Not yeah. too bad for that. And and the ballpark's pretty cool, I, I've heard. It's a great place to play as far as your home games. And they have a chance to win every game they play. Uh, they've got some big-time players. You know, Dave being a future big-time player. As a freshman, you kind of find your way. Um, but Dave's best attribute is his reliability. And as a college baseball coach, um, that's that's exactly what you're looking for. And frankly, that's what you're looking for at any level of baseball is reliability and consistency. So having been, you know, Dave talking about going through a redshirt season and then making a decision to, hey, I got to try my luck somewhere else and I got to get after it because I don't want this to happen again. That, that internal motivation uh, will bode well for Dave next year and then the following year into his junior year where it's like, college baseball is really slowed down and settled and it's like you can just go and get it done you don't have to worry you know what your role is you're part of this program you're a leader in this program you've established yourself um, those are all that's all part of the maturation and growth of a a young man in college baseball <clears throat> in college is, is those lessons that as Dave's learning them in real time that you don't know you're learning until you get to be old like me and look back and that the lessons that I was taught and learned at school myself, you know, getting yo-yoed my freshman year when I thought I was, you know, I was told you're, you're a starting guy and, and I'm not playing and um, mentally not being able to deal with that because, you know, I was immature. I didn't understand how to deal with that because I didn't know any better. And then using that as motivation to not let it happen again and, and growing up as, as, in some form as an athlete, <clears throat> so that I was able to perform and never let that happen and took the decision out of coach's hands that, no, you got to play this guy every day or he's our closer. Whenever there's a situation we need stopped, he's our guy. That's built through trust, work ethic, performance, and just what kind of person you are to the program. And sounds like Dave's on track for that. I'm, I'm not the least bit surprised. It's been great having him in Edmonton. Um, super fortunate. Um, it's exactly the type of player that you want to have come up. You know, he's, he's a leader in his way. Um, he performs, he's ready to go. Um, yeah, just a, just a great situation for us. We're really happy. You hit really well in high school too. Do you miss hitting? I do. I mean, <laughs> you, you can't straight I've told him a couple of times, like, I'm ready to swing it if you need me. Would you look at him as a pinch hitter? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> Definite no. How come? Just because oh, I don't, you don't want you, you might. I just wanted to be funny there. <laughs> I, I, like, you never, you never say you never, never in this game. You yeah. know, we get in another 16-inning game. And we need to make a decision. Dave's planted the seed that he's smart like that. Yeah. He started working early in the year. It's like, hey, coach, hey, you know, if you need a Hit guy. 345 in his senior season in high school. <laughs> Might be a good off the bat. It, listen, nobody expected Kirk Gibson in 88 to come off the trainer's well, table. I got two guys working me right That's now. That's right. To get yeah, Dave exactly. I mean, don't make the Kirk Gibson comparison. I'm more of a doubles guy. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I can get one out of Remax. <laughs> it's a big uh, park. Yeah, it is a, a big, big park. park. Oh, but some guys went deep in the uh, yeah. the home run contest. That, that was, was good. It was such an awesome day. Uh, you know, Dave, Dave being kind of an ambassador for us in our own clubhouse, so we cleared out our clubhouse and opened it up to the, to the, the West All-Stars. You know, Dave, you know, knowing what how the Remax field is and hanging out with pitchers and meeting hitters. Uh, he did a really good job for us. Uh, we're really uh, 
really appreciative of, of his ambassadorial skills. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was great. The Derby was cool. Like we dealt, we dealt with some weather. Um, there's, there's no denying that we, you know, had a little bit of a rain delay. Um, but all in all, having said that, that you think, oh, you know, this didn't work. It worked. Mm-hmm. That was a cool event. It was. Um, it was great to have all these great players here. And there's there's a ton of great players that weren't there. Um, to, to, the cool thing about the All-Star game, Dino, is that it's the first game, it's like the only game that these guys are going to play where it doesn't matter. So they can just the standings, go, yeah, they yeah. can just go compete and play baseball to the level they're capable of with n- nobody's jobs on the line. Yeah. And, Nobody and you cares. get the win and yeah. uh, it's uh, no, uh no pressure really sweet. play yeah. play the game for the love of the game. And that like for me that was awesome to be around and see the guys like that joking joking about strikeouts yeah. is not something that happens. Yeah, exactly. So there there was a story yesterday that we had we had a player get caught stealing with uh, to make the third out at third base, There's which is le- like the ultimate cardinal sin. I mean, you, you try you try not to let that happen. So it was a left-handed hitter at the plate. He was facing a righty. You know, it was a ball ball two gunned at third inning over. Well, they had this dominant lefty getting warmed up in the bullpen. So he comes back, Dougal, the coaching. We're laughing. We're like, he, he's saying he's like. Did you, did you see who's getting warmed up? It's, you know, like the, the Darth Vader lefty closer coming in. He's like, now I got to face that guy instead yeah. of this righty. So he goes up next inning, three-pitch strikeout, and he's just coming back to the bench. Sad. You and we're the laughing. Sad trombone. We're laughing our asses off as the coaching staff because it's that kind of game. It's yeah. funny that this happened. And, and what a great kid. It was, it was Ashton Roy from Lethbridge. It, it, great kid. Okay, so did you know anybody other than the pitching coach when you came here? Uh, I did not. I talked to Jordan maybe twice on the phone before I came out. And, yeah, I got my plane ticket. Guzo picked me up at the airport, got to the locker room, said hi to everyone, and Start making friends, right? Yeah. And are you the type of guy that's like, let's make friends fast? You're not – you don't seem like the shy kind of guy. Yeah, I mean, I think if I'm going to spend two months with you in a locker room, I might as well be friends with you. Right. So right away you start kind of finding the pitchers, making your friends, making sure the catchers like you. That's right get on your way but i mean we have a good team there's no bad apples on our team which is nice awesome we all get along really well and we're all here to compete so it's a good environment to be in for sure and what about edmonton uh, asides from tim hortons well, you you made an interesting uh comparison or or uh, yeah with, with tim hortons tell us a little about uh from a guy from san diego who does not have tim hortons mm-hmm. uh, getting to experience tim hortons for the first time in canada I mean, I tell my parents it's like a McDonald's and Starbucks got together and had a baby. Tim Hortons <laughs> came out. <laughs> Why? Why is that analogy? Because it's on every corner like McDonald's and they got coffee like Starbucks. And but do you like the coffee from I Tim Hortons? I love it. I mean, Are every you roach... buy a bunch and take it back home and like the pods that we had today? I haven't even thought about that. I might have to do that. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, a farmer's wrap and a large French vanilla. Every road trip. Like the, the, really? Yeah. Like you just clockwork. get a bunch of adopted yeah. Canadians by the end of the year. Like, yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to go back to Canada. I can't, yeah. I can't not have Timmy's for this long. Yeah. So what do you, and what are you, your thoughts of Edmonton? We, we talked about the field, the Remax field, and how beautiful and, and pro. Uh, it is a pro stadium for sure. It's in you know a beautiful area. You guys probably don't live too far. What do you think of the city so far? I mean, Other than the rain, we apologize yeah. for the rain. <laughs> it's awesome to be in Edmonton. I mean, last summer where I played, we had a farm behind the left field line and a vineyard behind the right field line so it's the middle of nowhere and you come to edmonton you get the big city environment when you're walking around town in a prospect shirt 
a kid will ask you for a high five and say hi to you. Cool. So it's an awesome environment. And, I mean, we've been busy, so I haven't been able to explore Edmonton as much as I want to, but the parts I have seen, I've loved. Oh, that's good stuff. Um, so you, you mentioned your dad played uh, college basketball. Mm-hmm. Uh, your mom, uh, Stephanie, right? That yes. was her name. And you have one brother, Matthew. Yes. So I imagine, uh, are you guys close in age? Uh, yeah, he is 22 now. Okay, yes. so there would have been a lot of backyard games uh, between you and your brother, where there was football, <laughs> baseball, basketball, and your dad, and maybe your mom as well. Mm-hmm. I imagine athletics were pretty big growing up in your yeah, family. Yeah, I mean, I would always challenge my dad to pick up basketball growing up and get killed by him every <laughs> single time, which makes you not like basketball so much for a little bit. But yeah, I love playing against him. My brother, I was fortunate because he was older than me, so I was able to pick up pitching when he picked up pitching. Nice. So I always joke I got three extra years of pitching experience than everyone my age. But yeah, like wiffle ball in the backyard, wrestling in the bedroom, ping pong, anything to compete, I love to do. Like who could get in the car to get to school faster? (laughs) Who could get shotgun, (laughs) right? Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, growing up, like, that's part of what I love about baseball, which is a one-on-one competition every single at-bat yeah. in its simplest form. I asked uh, Hunter Boyd, who was out here, um, is, do, you, do you see it as a chess match? Like, y- you get to make the opening move with the with the pitch on the mound, um, and then the, the batter gets to react. It, hockey and uh, maybe football, but hockey, those other sports are also fast-moving all the time. Baseball has a lot of time in between to think about what you're doing next. Yeah, I mean, Hunter, he has a, he's a starter, so definitely for him it's more of a chess match. I mean, for me, it's the backyard alley fight where you can play dirty. I can throw a ball by your head and piss you off a little bit and then go slider and strike you out. So I Because like you're probably only facing that guy once. Yeah, I like the grimy side of closing it out where no one wants to be the last out of the game. Like, no one wants to put your head down where we're high-fiving party Rocky on the mound laughing at you. And, and Dave is one of the nicest guys in the world, but you're getting a glimpse into what it's like when he gets on the mound. He, he's not just nice Dave. He gets the game face on, and, and it's like, it's you and me, bro. Let's go. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to lose that battle, and that's a great, obviously, a great attribute to have. In the not afraid in. to throw inside at a yeah. guy. And I mean, I love throwing inside. If you get pissed off, I'm sorry, but I'm going to throw inside. He's not sorry. Yeah. He's not sorry. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. Yeah, yeah. All right, last word for you, Jordan, uh, if you have uh, want anything to wrap up with. Yeah, David. I was, uh, wanted to ask Dave a little bit about what uh, what he does, what's it, what he likes to do in, in the Southern California area outside of baseball. Um, long walks on the beach, yeah. okay, <laughs> according to a bio. Yes, Literally, sir. it says, <laughs> enjoys long walks on the beach. Like that, that, that is usually like uh, in a Tinder bio or something like that. But here we are. I got my files mixed up. So I was supposed to be in the Tinder one and it got on that. But who who wouldn't love long yeah. walks on the beach living in California, right? Yeah, exactly. So t- tell us a little bit about, you know, fishing and hiking mm-hmm. and, and some of those cool fun things that you get to yeah, do with I your mean, family and friends. I love going to the beach, surfing. And then my family, we love fishing and hiking. So going up to the Sierra Mountains and Yosemite and hiking up there. There's, I've been trying to go to Banff, but Jordan made me play in the All-Star game, so I can't go. <laughs> that was actually your own fault. Yeah. Uh, skip Banff. Go to Jasper. Go to Jasper? Banff is the commercialized version of Jasper. So okay. when you go to Banff, you stop every five minutes or two minutes for somebody mm-hmm. walking. It's crowded. Yeah. It's packed. Jasper is much quieter, just as beautiful, and less commercialized. So that's just my advice. Okay. Um, they're both the same distance from here. Yeah. Um, Banff does have Lake Louise, but 
I would go to Jasper. If you just want to chill out in the mountains, Jasper is much more uh, calmer. I than like Jasper too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I love Jasper. It's like I'm going to Jasper. There we go. <laughs> David, <laughs> thanks uh, so much for uh, coming out. Continued success with the prospects this year and uh, uh, in your future. Uh, you're uh, majoring in economics, is that Oh, uh, yes, sir. All right. Well, uh, the money man. Uh, oh, the, the numbers man. <laughs> David, thanks so much for joining us. Perfect. Thank you for having me. Play ball! Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and crackers. Want two tickets to an upcoming prospects game? Get your thinking ball caps on and answer this baseball trivia question. If they don't win, it's a shame. For it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. Today on Take Me Out to the Ball Game Trivia, and by the way, wonderful rendition of Take Me Out to the Ball Game by Christine Bandolo, uh, who does a lot of our voice work, and uh, Kevin Dabbs, her husband, uh, who is a guest on Sports and More, also uh, out today, um, telling a really funny story about the legendary Metallica drummer video. But anyway, back to baseball. Our trivia question today is, in which city was the first All-Star Game played? Uh, you're not allowed to answer, Jordan, because you actually guessed the answer uh, before we went on the oh, air. Oh, that was no guess. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, yeah, you knew it. In which city was the first All-Star game played? Um, this is simple. Send us an email with the answer, prospectsbaseballshow at gmail.com, and you will win tickets, if you're correct, to an upcoming Prospects game. Last week, we asked uh, Ferguson Jenkins holds the record for most wins by a Canadian pitcher in Major League Baseball because it was Canada Day. We asked who is number two, Ryan Dempster, 132 wins. Only four Canadians have won more than 100 career games. And uh, as we mentioned, there was one guy that sat at 99. So if you're a Canadian, that's a good number to sit at. He's like, I'm good, I'm retired, that's it for yeah, me. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm checking out at Greta's numbers. So <laughs> uh, that is our uh, Take Me Out to the Ball Game trivia. In which city was the first All-Star game played? Email us, prospectsbaseballshow at gmail.com, and you could be coming or going to an upcoming game. It's fantasy time. Fantasy baseball, that is. Who needs to be in your lineup? And who shouldn't? We've got the latest info to help you dominate your league. Bumgarner's 1-0. Bellinger swings. High drive. Center field. Hit the wall. Grand slam. Cody Bellinger. It's go time. Fantasy baseball hits the all-star break. And uh, it's interesting. Some teams have a really short week, which I don't like because you, you're, it's so hit and miss for your pitchers that were in the all-star game. So what we do is we just extend it. So it's basically a 10-day week uh, starting on Friday. Yeah, we're I, the same. That has to be, you, you can't go with a no. three-day week. No, it's not a true reflection of that fantasy week. So that's good. Uh, it gives everybody a bit of a break. Um, you know, if you still want to make trades, you can, but you don't have to worry about your lineup until Friday. Yeah, you know, you hit a lot of guys in my league. This is where they get away, you know, head out to Hawaii. They get down to Mexico and take a break from the season. (laughs) (laughs) They'll they'll be ready to go here on Friday. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Do do a lot of your players 
play fantasy baseball? Do you know? Yeah, you know, I, I know the guys in the academy. They, they've got a couple leagues going okay. on, and and uh, it gets a little contentious uh, during the draft portion at the end of March. There's some 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 hard feelings and some battles, and and they've got a little different rules. So I try not to pay attention too much to what they're doing there. I'm not sure I would want to be in their fantasy league, but they have fun with it. Uh, you know, I'm, I don't know about the, the 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 summer team here, the Edmonton prospects. I'm not sure. Might be hard to start a league when you're you're uh, starting in June, right? For sure, they may be playing with some buddies back That's home right, or yeah. at their school. Okay, so for me, uh, I got the win. I beat the second place team this week. That's huge. That's important, and I moved into there a playoff are. spot. Still a long way to go, Climb but the uh, you got to get there. And it was Paul Goldschmidt who got it done. Goldie. Two home runs, six RBIs, 440 on base percentage. Um, it, it, interesting with my team, only Randall Grichuk didn't have a home run on my roster this oh, wow. week. So every guy hit a home run on my roster. He had four home runs and hit 385. Uh, so that helped. And, and it gets me into a playoff position. But in my league, uh, like the, the leaders are so far ahead. It's like there's three teams battling for the last playoff spot. And, and we've talked about this before. At some point, you have to decide: Do I just try to sneak in and make a run, or do I do I reload? Where are you at that? I mean, I'm the, the sneaking along at a snail's pace. I've I've bridged the gap. Uh, I'm within striking distance. Um, I, I feel like probably realistically, two winning weeks could get me there. If you know the five and six seed both don't have successful weeks, I can bridge that gap in two weeks. I don't have a ton of time to be doing this. It's getting close. Um, I probably have two weeks to decide too. So the next two weeks are like if if I'm not able to bridge and that gap. One of them's a longer week, right? One of them's a long week, right? So you know you get right up until the end of July, and then it's go time. You're, you're running up against it. Um, I've made some like I've made some moves that have worked out, which you know earlier in the year it wasn't working out. So we kind of play that the teeter totter of of baseball. I, I ended up getting your boy Mike Fires. I'm going, Smart I'm going pickup, in. Man. I'm going in with you there, Dino. All he does is rack up quality starts, man. If it works out that he saves my season, I owe you big time. Um I picked up uh, one of those starter reliever guys that's an opener, Liam Hendricks. So he's dual slotted. You know, he racks up K's, low whip, low ERA. You know, hopefully he's able to continue that. That will help my pitching staff. And the Guriel brothers. In fantasy baseball, like saving the, your season, the two brothers. So I've got I've got Lourdes. I don't have Yuli. I saw a stat yesterday. I think it was on the Blue Jays game. Like those two brothers in the month of July have more home runs than some teams have. That that's the kind of months those guys are putting up. And the last seven days, Yuli Guriel is the number one fantasy player with six bombs in the last week, hitting a, a four twenty nine clip with an OPS of eighteen hundred over seven days. Complete sick, video man. game numbers. And I don't even know what Lourdes did this week. He had, a, he had a down week. You know, he's probably only top 50 player for the week. So there's a couple guys there. Now's the time that some of these younger players are going to get opportunities in the major leagues. So you may be able to catch fire with a guy that, that's been called up, that's got dual position slots. You, you might be able to find a guy on, on one of the teams. You know, LA's been doing this all season with young guys. The problem with LA is they're not going to get consistent playing time. But a team with probably you're looking at, you know, a Cincinnati or you um, maybe in Arizona where you know the playoffs maybe aren't in the picture and they're willing to give extended at bats to a young guy, it might be time to look at you know finding that diamond in the rough, hot start, 
pole vault your team and give you a little influx of offense. I have six guys injured. Four of them are on the IL. So it's it's like creeping up. And I had two outfielders go down. Uh, so I had to pick up Brett Gardner. Oh, really? 35-year-old, <laughs> yeah. but, you know, he's 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 playing really well as of late. And I thought, I need a pinch. It cost me a dollar in our uh, waiver wire. And I, you know, I got a fill-in outfielder who's playing really well right now that can maybe carry me through until yep. uh, whether it's uh, Marcelo Zuna gets healthy or uh, uh, David Peralta I had as well. So uh, it's just a... Uh, you you have to be able to be quick. You have to be able to uh, make quick decisions and find guys that can fill the gap, or else you're just gonna be you're gonna be starting a guy who's injured. Yeah, which you, sometimes you have to do because <laughs> of because of uh, uh, roster situations. So, well, getting a guy that might be able to steal you a couple bags too and help protect you in that category is huge. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, the one guy that I'm really looking forward to, uh, Dallas Keuchel. Uh, five starts now for Atlanta. His ERA, his WHIP are coming down. His inning pitch, his innings are going up. Two straight quality starts, even though he lost one. And I mentioned quality starts a lot. Uh, for anybody that doesn't know, that's six innings pitched or more, and less than three earned runs uh, for a starting pitcher. So um, you know, Keuchel is a guy that I I have had on my team for a while, and I just had been waiting this year for him to get on a team. Patient, maybe GM. that's what pushes me yeah. uh, over the well, edge. Like is, to is get him a guy that in. good, yeah. All of a sudden, he pull vaults you. You might be able to beat one of the top teams because you have that guy. Yeah, like my my staff is Mike Fires, who I picked up, Kershaw, Keuchel, Syndergaard, Verlander. Like that, when Keuchel gets going, that should be a good enough staff to at least win me a playoff round. Yeah, I think totally. anyway. Totally. So, uh, is there uh, anybody in fantasy that you want to highlight this week? Yeah, there's a couple arms uh, in the reliever and then the starter and, and relief pitcher that that rack up strikeouts, don't walk any guys, and really don't get hit. Um, guy in St. Louis, John Brebbia. St. Louis has got this bullpen thing going. That's I, I would watch them in the second half. He's got three and two-thirds the last week, seven Ks. <laughs> he, he pumps it. Um, Daniel Ponce de Leon. Who's been in and out of being a fantasy dude? He's had some injury issues, kind of came up and down. The stuff is real. Um, four and two thirds, six Ks, picked up a win. You know, you get those mid range relievers that come in in the sixth inning and, and vulture a win. They happen to be the, the last pitcher. Do you have guys like that? Because I only, my, like, I, we have slots for five starters in our starting lineup and then two relievers. And I, I always go with a closer. Our league's different, so we've got okay. uh, we've got starting pitcher slots, we've got two pitcher slots, and then two relief pitcher slots. So you could anybody that has a starting pitcher can can go in six so it's of the like eight flex slots. spots. You totally. can use a starter or a reliever. Totally. In those two. It's like yep. in football where you use a flex. You yep. can usually use a running back or something. So there, there's value. There's a lot of value to these mid range right. guys that throw four innings a week and pound strikeouts and don't walk anybody. To protect your starter if he gets if he gets popped, might have to uh, throw that at uh, Commissioner Jamie Thomas and uh, try to get maybe a flex pitcher yeah. spot in our oh, uh, rotation. It, 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 you know, whatever you guys decide to do is it's good for your league. It is part of baseball. It you know, totally the, that is, yeah, opener, yeah. that one middle and two relievers. Third, yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's actually what decides the game. They're massive. Yeah, yeah. The, the game hangs in the balance yeah. uh, uh, when they're going there. Okay, do you have one more, or do you want to wrap this fantasy um, segment up? Let's see, one more guy. I mean, I mean, I got to show it. Shane Bieber. So at the start of the year, I drafted him 
Um, we, we, we have a fun with our fantasy league. And so our commissioner does like the, who did well in the draft, you know, like Buster boom. Um, I got, I got ripped a little bit for drafting Shane Bieber as high as I did. And he, him of all the guys that I've got, he's a dude. And I just really felt like he was going to come out this year. Right now, he's a 20th ranked fantasy player. You're looking pretty now, man. Oh, laughing about that one. And then my guy, Pete Alonzo, that I took late. Right. Oh, he's a, he's going to be a 15-year franchise keeper. I'm getting a Alonzo jersey. <laughs> so those are my two guys uh, on my team that have been there for me all year. The pitch. There's a long one to right field. Forget about it. This one is headed for New Jersey. High into the upper deck. Barry Barnes with a spectacular three-run homer. Who is the best left fielder of all time? How about your favorite shortstop ever? What a double play by Ozzie Smith. Oh, mercy. It's time to build your all-time team. Today we are talking about the catcher position. Does anybody ever say back catcher anymore? You hear it When, here when I was a kid, it was called the back catcher. Uh, now it's just the, uh, the catcher. I actually had one guy when I uh, worked at Global Television and would do uh, baseball highlights, and I called him the back catcher one time. He literally wrote a five-paragraph email uh, complaining about me calling it the back catcher. So it always kind of sticks with me. Uh, but we're doing the catcher position today, and uh, this is how all-time team works. Uh, you give us a list of the best and or favorite players all time at each position. Uh, so we started in right field and we have gone position by position each show. What you should do as the listener is send us your list. Uh, send us your uh, every position in baseball that they have, as well as, uh, of course, a starting pitcher, a relief pitcher, and a DH. So 11 in total. It can either be the all-time best players at each position, in your opinion, or your favorite players at each position. And Jordan and I do each, and we're going to pick two winners, one for the best team, one for a favorite team, and winners will receive winter banquet tickets. And as mentioned, we do it position at a time. So today it's uh, the catcher. And um, I'll start with who I think is the best catcher of all time. And then I'll let you uh, chime in, and it might be the same. Uh, but it's Johnny Bench of the Big Red Machine. And it, it, this is just an inside story. When I would get my highlights ready um, at Global, I would uh, sometimes not have all the names if you're doing minor hockey and you go to a roster. So I would use the name Johnny Bench all the time in place if I didn't know a name as I was writing it out. So my jo I just would always be Johnny Bench, Johnny Bench, Johnny Bench. And then I started really researching Johnny Bench because he won his World Series the year I was born. And I just fell in love with this guy. Like seven of eight se seasons during his prime, he hit more than 20 home runs. That's pretty good. 45, 40 home run seasons to lead the league. Two-time MVP, a two-time champion, and a World Series MVP. And he was the guy that when Joe Morgan and Pete Rose got on base, he drove them in and on the big red machine. Changed the catching position with his one-armed style at the time so it could keep his right arm free, which he had an absolute gun to guy throw guys out. Uh, there were a couple of seasons where he threw out 56 and 57% of the base dealers. That's pretty amazing uh, when, you, when you're getting that high. And he was a smart base runner. You think of catchers as being these big power hitting, slow plodding runners. And we've talked on this show before about 
base stealing isn't just all about speed or base running isn't all about speed, but a couple of years he had double digit seasons in stolen bases. It's pretty good for a, uh, uh, catcher, which is thought of as that uh, plotting guy. Uh, the year the Reds won their two titles in 75 and 76, he had high base stealing seasons. And he was a power hitter that only struck out more than 100 times twice in a season. In a 17-year career, all with the Reds, which is also pretty cool. He could handle pitchers. This is a cool story. And I don't know if this is true or not, but this is the story goes that he was catching a pitcher that didn't have a lot of velocity and the guy wanted to throw fastballs. And Johnny Bench was like, dude, your fastball just doesn't have it. And he's like, no, I'm throwing fastballs. So in Bull Durham, he tells him the curveball or the fastball is coming, right? Johnny Bench didn't do that. He just allegedly caught one of the guy's fastballs with his bare hand to say, dude, your fastball's not that hard. I just caught it with my bare hand. You know, and, and listen, I don't know when that was in his career, but I don't care who you are. You should just be listening to Johnny Bench <laughs> when really. he's uh, telling you uh, what's going on. So that's who I think was the best catcher of all time. Uh, he played on some pretty impressive teams with the Reds. Um, yeah, but there's there's some pretty amazing catchers out there. So who do you have as the best catcher of all time? Uh, you, you made a compelling case for Johnny Bench, a, a great uh, great line of numbers and stats and accomplishments. I mean, he's he's up there. He's he's so good. Maybe that's a little bit more your era. You're a little bit older than I am. Did you, do you remember seeing well, him? Well, no. He like I said, uh, he, his career span. His they won the World Series in '75 and '76. Yeah, I was okay. born in '75, so I I didn't grow up watching him, yeah. but I've watched a lot of video yeah. of of because I you know I loved being a catcher. I was a catcher as a little kid. And I'll tell you who my favorite was and why I did that in a second. But, you know, as I got older, I started watching more, you know, when the internet came, I'm like, oh, I can actually watch video of Johnny yeah, Bench. Yeah. This is pretty cool. So, so I, I didn't watch him growing up. He, he was, he's the benchmark. Johnny Bench is a benchmark. Yeah, good one. Um, I'm going with Pudge, Ivan Rodriguez. I was going to say, which Pudge? Yeah. Carlton Fisk or <laughs> Ivan Rodriguez? I'm going with Ivan Rodriguez, 14-time AL All-Star. Um 13 gold gloves, a bunch of them were in a row. Um, seven, seven silver sluggers behind the plate. Uh, so he, he was the, the most prolific offensive catcher in the league seven times. Uh, we got an MVP award in 99. Got the ring in Florida. That was the Josh Beckett World Series. And um, I've got this, this imprinted in my brain when he had the ball and he was staring at it and shaking it. When they had uh, just won? Yeah, yeah, yeah. just this emblazoned in my memory like that that play by that Pudge. and uh uh joe carter like those are some of the moments yeah. that you really really remember uh like touch them all joe and stuff <laughs> yeah. like that like those no are, those are the memories yeah um career stats dang near hit 300 uh for his career 2800 hits uh 311 bombs um you know he he was he was the, 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 the benchmark of where guys are now in, in the kind of a little new era. Like Johnny Bench set the bar. Pudge was the next guy where it's like he's the best guy in the league. There hadn't been a guy that defensive plus the offensive for that long that you, he, you just don't run on him. You know, he was 50% for like nine years in a row. His career throwing out guys was 46%. You just, amazing. You just didn't run on him at times in his prime. You, you literally didn't run on him. Fun to watch. Offensive player. Could run a little bit. 
and then what he was able to do behind the plate was was unreal. When I was in Kamloops playing college baseball in, in 1999, Jeff Zimmerman, who's a Canadian that, that pitched a little bit in the big leagues, he came and talked to our team at you know kind of one of our fall things, and, and he was with Pudge in Texas. A uh, real quick story is when he first came up, you know, he was, you know, warming up. He said, you know, pretty cool. I'm throwing to Pudge. Like, this is crazy. He's unbelievable back there. Um, and then the ball's coming down to second base, you know, in between innings. And <clears throat> he threw his last pitch, warm-up pitch. And then all of a sudden, this he like, I dang near got my head taken off. This he did ball, it out of the way. It came flying by me. And he, he was shocked. Zimmerman said he was shocked. He kind of looked at Pudge. <clears throat> and Pudge said to him, chuck it down now. And that ball was a laser beam to second base. So that was a funny story he told a bunch of uh, freshman college baseball players that, that stuck with me memory-wise. So I'm going with Pudge. It's interesting. Um, I think Johnny Bench is number one. Uh, go with Pudge. And uh, Mike Piazza's got to be in there uh, somewhere. He hit the most home runs uh, from the uh, catching you position. You know where he was drafted, eh? Yeah. Like the do, last do you know? Do you know why he was drafted? <clears throat> yeah. Because it was a family friend yeah. of Tommy Lasorda's. That one, that part of nepotism actually worked out that yeah, one. Yeah, that's a, that's <laughs> amazing. Okay, so my favorite catcher of all time is Tony Pena. Nice. And uh, Pittsburgh Pirate, St. Louis Cardinal, uh, played a little bit in Boston. But Tony Pena was uh, at the exact right time for me. Uh, he broke into the uh, Major League Baseball in 1980. Uh, I would have been five. And I just grew up watching his cool stance where he would... Like, and, and I was a goalie, so I was pretty flexible when I was a kid, and I could do that. I didn't have the arm strength of Tony Pena to be able to throw from your butt because if you ever watch Tony Pena, so instead of crouching down into the uh, stance, he would actually sit on his knees with his butt on the ground behind and throw from there. And I thought it looked cool. And as a kid, you see something that looked cool and you want to do it. And that's what made me be a catcher was Tony Pena. I, I sat that way and could not throw anybody out. I had to like get up. So it was <laughs> yeah. stupid because it took me forever to get up. But I just thought it was the coolest thing. And like, listen, Tony Pena uh, won uh, four gold gloves. So he was a good uh, defensive catcher. He was not a offensive guy at all. I think the most home runs he hit in the season was 15 or something like that. And uh, yeah, he had 15 home runs, 78 RBIs. Wasn't a, a big uh, average hitter, hit 300 a few times. Um, but I just loved, he did get a, a couple of MVP votes. Uh, he finished 12th and 21st and was sixth in uh, rookie of the year, played in some all-star games, but it was his stance. I just loved how he was behind the plate. I thought it was cool and it made me want to be Tony Pena. He kind of was the start. Like there's a lot of, a lot of that kind of positioning nowadays with catchers. And uh, he was a little bit ahead of his time with some of the, the lessons that we try and teach our young catchers of where you can actually, yeah, go ahead, try that. Like, get down low. Allow the umpire all this room to see. How low can you present your target? I never even thought of that, actually. All those kind I of never things. even thought of that from that angle. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the, the more you give the umpire, the more strikes you're going to get. Yeah, I don't know why you know, I like never thought about that. That's brilliant, though. If you're big though. Mike Piazza and, it, and the umpire happens to not be that big of a human, he's not particularly tall, you might be blocked on some certain things. Good point. You know, the more movement you have as you're trying to pitch might come across somebody's vision. So um, he was kind of ahead of his time a little bit. And, and like, what a cool guy to watch catch, man. Like, that that's awesome. And, and Benito San Diego was a little bit like that's that. That's right, yeah. And he got that from Tony. Yeah, well, Pittsburgh Pirate, too. Yeah. All right, so what do you got? Who's your favorite? Who's your favorite catcher of all time? 
well, it, it ain't over till it's over, Dino. Really? Um, when when you come to a fork in the road, you need to take it. How uh, are you not going with Gary Carter? I, I love the Expos, but but there's just something about Yogi Berra, um, his influence on the game. Like he won ten championships or something like that. Unbelievable how many how much success he had in the game. Um, the, the quotes, like to be able to have that many cool quotes that that don't make sense but make sense and and just that be your persona um let me double check here he had double digit rings i think he's you know he played forever 18 time all-star 10 titles i think 10 titles like unbelievable amount of titles uh career ops of 830 when the ball wasn't what it is nowadays 358 bombs you know he casey stengel said it best i never played a game without my guy he was he he's the the guy that you need to win games. He doesn't necessarily win you every game, but when he's in your lineup, he's a difference maker somehow, some way, and what he does helps your team win. Um, I, I love I love the idea of those kind of players. Uh, when when you're that kind of player, you know, coach coach doesn't start a team without you. He's the guy he wants. Um, he's the guy that he will put in the lineup in, in a big game. So with the quotes and the persona and the history and the fact that he stayed close to the game and, and the name Yogi Berra, I mean, he was born to be who he is, you know? So that, that's my favorite of all time. I'm going with Yogi. You know, it's interesting. Yogi Berra was, uh, obviously an incredible catcher. And then the Yankees had Thurman Munson. After that, uh, so embarrassment of riches, and now their catcher's pretty good as well. Yeah. <laughs> They've got some good catchers, but in that 1976 World Series uh, between the Reds and the Yankees, you had Johnny Bench and Thurman Munson, and somebody asked uh, Sparky Anderson, who was the Reds' manager, about uh, comparing uh, Thurman Munson and uh, Johnny Bench, and you know what he said? I think Thurman Munson was a legend. He said it's not fair to Thurman Munson to compare him to Johnny Bench. Yeah. And, you know, like that's that's a great manager sticking up for his guy when they're all comparing him to Thurman Munson. And uh, so, uh, you know, so a, a pretty good catching matchup in the 76 World oh, Series. I think Thurman Munson hit like 580 or something like that. It's another so. day at the office. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so let's get to uh, then versus now. And this is where we compare different eras. And we figured we'd do the All-Star game. And we just talked about the big red machine of the Cincinnati Reds, one of the most uh, famous all-star videos of all time is Pete Rose scoring at home plate. And so I mentioned earlier, the all-star game to me is the closest thing to the real thing out of any of the sports. And we witnessed it in that all-star game with Pete Rose running over uh, the catcher. I think it was, was it Ray Fossey That's that uh, thinking, he, yeah. he ran over? Ray so you look at the all-star game, how competitive it was. And, and this is the interesting thing. The first All-Star game wasn't played until 1933. So you have the 1927 season where Babe Ruth hit 60 and Gehrig. You have the 1929 Philadelphia Athletics, which were even better than that 27 Yankees team, who some think is the best team ever. So there wasn't an All-Star game until 33. So they missed some of those guys. Now, you know, Babe Ruth, did, I think he hit the first home run in an All-Star game. But so the game you know, evolved over time. It came really competitive with uh, Pete Rose. And then they brought in the home field advantage, which was, in my opinion, the most ridiculous thing ever. And now we have it where it's a little bit more jovial and relaxing. But this was an all-star game that started out with some uh, real intensity. 
yeah, that's baseball. You know, once you get going in between the lines, it's tough to dial it down. Uh, like we we've said this, but before. you will never see anybody run somebody over like Pete no, Rose again. No, no, that's that's in the past. That's uh, that's the way the game was played though. Then those guys were playing for real. Like they just never played the game without it mattering. Um, and as, as cultures change and and we've grown as a, a civilization and, and and a race, like you know, we what's important is. You know, now it's a, it is a, it's about the fans, the fans' experience, the fans' access to That's the players. That's what the All Star Game is about: is exactly. kids and fans. And then a side benefit of that is the players get to hang out with other great players, um, talk learn. shop, learn, especially for young players. Yeah. Like you know, Connor McDavid when he goes to the All Star Game in his rookie season, and he gets to hang out with Sidney Crosby yeah. or Patrick Kane or some of these guys, and you you bounce ideas and you you talk shop, right? And that's what we saw at the ballpark yesterday is just a lot of guys getting to experience each other and their approaches and their mindsets. And, um, you, you know, you're going to pick something or you're going to learn something from being in that environment because now you've got kind of like the, the, the best of the best, you know, all due respect to some of the guys that could have been there that weren't, you know, there's a whole group of guys. And when you get that many guys that are that talented together, I mean, shoot, you, something's going to rub off on you. So Oh, what a cool experience to, to, to have an all-star game. And, and like you said, you know, when you get a young guy that, um, you get a chance to talk to somebody that's been there and done that, any, t- any type of value that, that, that conversation brings to that young player just, uh, speeds up his growth exponentially. Well, tonight, uh, is the home run derby. What do you think big, bad Vlad is going to be able to do representing, uh, the Blue Jays? Uh, Carlos Santana, Pete Alonso, uh, you talk about That's Matt Chapman, boy. Josh Bell, uh, Ronald Acuna, Jock Peterson, Alex Bergman. Uh, they're all in the home run derby. Uh, do you think Vlad can put on a show? I got Jock, Jock uh, I've got Bell, and I've got Alonso as being the guys I think will do the most damage. I love Vladdy. Um, for me, Vladdy's not quite ready to, to, to be the, the star of the show. He's so young. Like I, I don't know why we need to put him in. He's gonna have in the next fifteen years to do this. You don't think he should be in it? I'm not sure he's ready. Why? Like, it's just hitting home runs. It's just BP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I hear he you. He has the personality, man. He's oh, built for, sure. for the stage for sure. I, I think there's other guys that are, that have that too, uh, that ability. And I, like I said, I love Laddie. I, I love that he's in this. I want. I'm so happy that we get Blue Jay games that you get to watch this guy for for the rest of his career. Hopefully, um, for me, he's just he's just not quite there. You know, he's 20 years old, like, and not a knock. Like he just he just hasn't like Alonzo's 24. You know, he's been there and done that. This was a fast track for Vlad. He hasn't even been in the big leagues. Cunha's not that old though. for two months. He's been in the big leagues yeah. for over a year. Um, I just think it's a lot to put on a guy like so quickly that you. D- he doesn't need to be, <clears throat> excuse me, he doesn't need to be the face of the All-Star game, which is what he is now with the Derby because he's Vladdy at the age of 20 and and he still doesn't know how to have a consistent day at the plate. Like the, all the talents, and he will. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. You know, if he stays healthy, this is all going to slow down for him. But I just don't know why we had to rush him. That's my personal opinion on it. I love that he's in it. You know, I'm, I'm cheering for him. I want to see him hit. 50 home runs because it's Vladdy. Uh, I loved his dad. He's an expo. I love I love Vladdy. It's the fact that he's with the Blue Jays and you know, obviously want to see him have a successful career and hopefully he gets 
all the riches in the world and ends up in the Hall of Fame like his dad because it seems like he's that kind of person, just deserving. He's worked his butt off. For me, it's like, do we have to get him into this one? I think he's going to have another couple opportunities. And frankly, he hasn't proven that he's going to hit home runs yet. He, he, he hasn't proven to be a consistent. He can hit leader. batting practice home runs, he and that's what can. you get in the derby. He's going to be fine. Dino, man. Dino, there's 500 hitters in the big leagues that can do that. Yeah, but there's not 500 that have the popularity of Vlad Guerrero. You yep. think you yep. think Vlad Guerrero is in the the outside of the top 500 <laughs> as far as popular players? No, yeah, you have you're to right. combine that with right. what the fans want to see. For sure, no, you're right. And, and you know and what? There's guys probably that turned it down. You and... have to get these guys in now because you're what you just said. Down the road, they're going to be like, "Nope, I'm resting my body. I'm not doing the home run derby anymore." Get them while they're young and eager before they become concerned with everything else so no and that's a great point so we'll see well hopefully it'll be fun tonight and uh we'll all enjoy that the all-star game uh good luck and swift thank you and then we'll see you back at the ballpark uh on the weekend our thanks to uh david wiley who joined us on the program today relief pitcher from the edmonton prospects picked up the save in the all-star game yesterday for jordan blundell i'm dean millard enjoy your week in baseball ban the shift It's gone. It's a grand slam. And that's the ball game.